Good evening. How are you guys? I hope you enjoyed the food and the fellowship. What a blessing to be here with you guys tonight. We've made it to the 16th and final chapter of 1 Corinthians. And if you've been tracking with us, you'll know that we have tackled some very important and serious issues and topics. The Apostle Paul has brought them to light, exposed them, and as far as I'm concerned, the Word of God has settled them. Amen? Amen. So we've seen that. You know, in the first 11 chapters, we see the Apostle Paul really, in my opinion, telling uh, these believers and even us today to stop doing some things, some terrible things, some things that emanate from our flesh, from the carnality that's within us. Things like division and cliques in churches, right? Sexual immorality. I mean, even idol worship, right? Idolatry. Those things that emanate from our flesh. I would just call the first 11 chapters carnalities, right? Stop doing this. They're terrible things. They're holding you and this church back from being all that God intends us to be, right? And then you see him beautifully moving into chapter 12, 13, 14, and even 15 with encouraging these believers in us to start doing more things, start encouraging, right, the spiritual things, right? Spiritualities, things that emanate from God's spirit who indwells us, right? We covered the gifts of the spirit. Each one of us have one, and they're for the edification of all of us to be done in love, remember? Spiritual things, things he wants us and them to do more of, And probably the greatest gift of all is chapter 13, love. Love, agape love, self-sacrificial love, right? Seeking the betterment of the other, even to the point of sacrifice. How beautiful is that chapter, right? We need more of those things, right? And then we saw last week a wonderful chapter taught by a wonderful Bible teacher, James Dennis, about the resurrection, right? The true power and hope of the believer that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Amen? And then we can just call those the spiritualities. But now, Paul comes to chapter 16. He's kind of winding it up and kind of landing this plane, and he kind of downshifts, in my opinion, into some things that are very practical. Just three practical issues he attacks tonight that we're going to go over. First one is maybe some principles on how to give. You'll see the apostle in the first part of this chapter telling and encouraging these believers to give to another needy church in the area, the church in Jerusalem. And through it, offers great uh, wisdom and practicality on maybe how we should be giving. And then he moves into how to plan. And you have to reach at this one a little bit, but it's what impressed on me was, you'll see Paul give us his travel itinerary in this closing chapter. Here's what I plan on doing. I want to come see you. And he lists some things. And the way that he does his travel itinerary is godly, and it's, it, it's wonderful. And I want to share it with you. So then when we embark out on a journey, something big, something we're planning for in the future, we might be able to glean some wisdom from that. And finally, in the last part of this chapter, the Apostle Paul, obviously a wonderful Bible teacher. Besides Jesus Christ himself, the best Bible teacher that this world has seen, in my opinion, right? Amen? But we see him being a wonderful master shepherd as he teaches us how to relate to people. I love the way he addresses some of these people with grace. And we'll see it, and it's wonderful, and it'll help us when we kind of interact and relate with our fellow ministers in Christ. Amen? So that's where we're going today. We'll start out with maybe some information, some principles on how to give. We'll start out chapter 16, verse 1. Let's check it out. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the church of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put something aside and store it up as he has been prospered, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. 
If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. So there you go. I don't know if you caught it there, but the church in Jerusalem needs something. And if you look at the history of the Christian church in Jerusalem, the mother church, if you will, through the book of Acts, you'll see that this time that Paul's speaking of right now was a time in that church where they were stricken with poverty. They were bankrupt. They could not pay their bills and supply for the needs of the saints. For a couple of reasons, there was widespread famine in that region, that geographical reason. And then also, this is a time, and you can follow it in the book of Acts, of it was, they faced stiff Jewish persecution at this time. This was a time where they were beaten and running Paul out of every town that he went to. You see, they not only were struck by famine, but they were being harassed by the Jews in that city. It was a Jewish city. And so they were under it. They had lost their wealth. Most of the wealthy people either left or lost their wealth. And they needed, irony here, or maybe the will of God, they needed the Gentile churches who had benefited from them spiritually, right, to now provide for their needs materialistically or financially. It's beautiful. So what Paul does is he exhorts them and other churches in this area to take a collection and take it to them. And when he does this, he gives us some pretty cool principles. If you caught them here, I want to go over a couple of them on maybe how we should give. New Testamently, grace-giving, I love this. I think this. In the first two verses, you see a universal Christian principle in giving that is to be done regularly as an act of worship in proportion to your wealth at the minimum. Universal. I don't know if you caught it, but he says, each of you. No exemptions, right? You know, you fill out your taxes, you can be exempt from things. The Christian, in my opinion, is not exempt from giving. Each of you put something aside and store it up. We all have a mandate to be givers. We all, all of us, need to realize that it's better to give than to receive, Jesus' word. That there's some special blessing in our heart when we Give. Yes, taking's nice. Doesn't compare to giving. He knows it. Paul knows it. And it's a universal Christian principle. We're all, each one of us, put something aside and store it up. No exceptions. It's also to be done regularly. I don't know if you caught it. It says on regularly as an act of worship. I'll combine these two. It says on the first day of every week you're to do this. What's the first day of the week? Is it Sunday? This may be the first reference that Christians started meeting on Sundays. Jews, they met on what? Saturday, Friday night into Saturday, right? That was their day of worship. Christians started a new tradition here in this time period of meeting on Sundays. Why would they do such a thing? Does anybody know? Oh, harken back to Pastor James, as I like to call him. We talked about the resurrection last week, if you were here. That's the day that Jesus Christ overwhelmed the grave, right? That's the power in the very heart of our religions that Jesus rose from the grave on the third day, right? Conquered sin, death, in the 80s, right? They started meeting on Sundays because they were celebrating the day that Jesus rose from the grave. Sundays, take a little, set it aside. So when you come in and you worship, giving God his weight, his glory, telling him back what he is, right? Through your worship, through your meditation in the word, through your prayers, when you're giving God worship, right? When we're doing that, when we're bending our knee to just say, you are God and there is none like you, we're to give. It should be the heart of the giving right? It's to be done regularly 
as an act of worship. It's something to remember when you give. Tight fist. It's giving back to the one who gave it all. Amen? That's what it's doing as an act of worship. It's also to be done proportionately, I believe. I don't know if you caught that. It says, you, you, each one of you, first day of every week, each one of you put something aside and store it up as he has prospered you, as God has blessed you, give so accordingly. Now, listen, we've all, we've all been given so much spiritually, amen? We all are the same in Christ. We share the glories and riches of Jesus Christ as we're robed in his righteousness, right? In his value, we're all wealthy, right? Spiritually. But we're not all the same materialistically, right? We have been prospered in different categories. And it doesn't matter what society or what system that society uses, they'll always be the poor, the middle, and the wealthy. They're just the way it is. Jesus himself said, you'll always have the poor. You're not going to get rid of it. We should treat them with respect, and we should do all sorts of things. Yes, yes, yes. But there is a difference in wealth. And what Paul's saying here is that, listen, some of you, for some reason, God has blessed you financially. You guys should probably give more than the person that can't pay their rent. That's all he's saying. In proportion to the way that you have been prospered materialistically. That's how I read that verse, and it makes a lot of sense to me. Proportionally. Doesn't matter the amount, right? It's not the amount that's important to God. It's the heart behind the giving. That's why even the widow and her two mites, Jesus said, I'm well pleased with that, right? It's not the amount. We all need to give something in proportion to your wealth. Also, he goes on, giving should also be done willingly. I like this verse, verse three. And when I arrive, Paul says, after you're doing all this stuff, and when I arrive, I will send those whom a credit by letter to carry out your gift to Jerusalem. I don't, before that, sorry, the end of chapter two, verse two, so that when I come, I don't want to collect. I don't want to, I don't want to come and collect it from you. I want it to be your choice. I, I want it to be voluntary. I want the heart of a volunteer to come out when you're worshiping the Lord. I don't want to collect it when I'm here. I don't know. Maybe he just didn't want to pass the, the bucket, right? But I think it's more than that. I think when the pastor comes up here, and coerces people to give and brings the thermometer out here. I don't like that. We don't like that here, if you haven't noticed. It should come the way you proposed in your own heart, the amount and the regularity of it, in my opinion. Paul says, I don't want to collect when I come here. I don't want you to be coerced or have an emotional response to my sermon and want to give a lot. I don't want to show you pictures of orphans and have you go, oh, I should do that. We, I want you to make up your own mind in your own heart. Why? He goes on to tell these same believers in the next letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. There's a beautiful verse, verse 7, and it's really, I think, the high watermark for grace giving. He says, each of you should give as you propose in your own heart, not grudgingly or out of ob obligation, why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. That's how we should give. And he's saying, listen, I don't want to come and fundraise for you and for these people. I want you to take a little each week as an act of worship. These people are in need. And listen, don't worry about it not getting there. Because in verse 3, as we read, I'll take it there myself. Right? Giving should be done responsibly too, don't you think? Man, Sometimes I hear about what people are given to, and I'm like, it needs to be done responsibly. You need to know that the people that are raising the funds will make sure the funds get to what they're advertising, right? Paul's saying, listen, you appoint a couple people. You take this money. When I come, I'll collect it. You take those people, and you send them. And if they need me, I'll go with them. 
And if they're coming with me, I'm going to carry the money, is what he said. I will make sure it gets to the needy Jerusalem church to meet their needs, to buy them food, right? I like that. I just read an article about a professional athlete, and they're real big at what? Starting on famous people. What do they start? Like foundations, right? And I hope it's because they're just trying to share their wealth. I have my doubts with some of them when you hear some of these foundations, right? Well, one of them was audited last month, and they found out that about 15 to 20% of what was being raised was actually going to the cause. Now, I fully understand there's overhead when you start a foundation. But if it's 75, 80, 90%, I probably wouldn't give to that organization. If someone's advertising, this is for these kids, or this is for this, that's where it should go. Paul's saying, listen, when you give to the Jerusalem believers, I'm going to physically take it down there, and I'm going to give it to them responsibly. Amen? So it needs to be accountable, transparent. Paul was an honest fundraiser. He wanted these Gentile churches to partake in blessing this church that needed him, who had given them so much spiritually. And he just sets out some principles for them to get there. A little bit every day, it'll be something when I come. Do it as an act of worship, right? Do it willingly out of a cheerful heart, and I'll bring it and make sure 100% of the funds gets to the 100% of the target, amen? So that's my thing on giving. I think those principles aren't all inclusive, but I think they'll help us. If you have a hard time giving, if you're not a generous person, or sometimes we just forget because we're so blessed in America, maybe some of those principles will help you. Paul goes on, and he talks about how to plan. And I really enjoy his itinerary here. Paul's going to give us an itinerary, and it provides really a godly perspective on how to embark on a journey or a project, right? You're trying to do something Maybe your future plans. I love the way he talks to these Corinthian believers on how he plans to try to get back to him. He's sitting in Ephesus writing this letter, and he has a yearning to get back to them. But how he does that, to me, is quite amazing. Let's read it in verse 5. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia and perhaps will stay with you or even spend the winter so that when you help me on my journey wherever I go, for I do not want to see you now just in passing, for I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries." That's kind of an incredible paragraph. If you look at it, there's a lot of room in there. Paul stayed flexible, right, and open for God to work in his life. Listen to these words. For I intend, and perhaps, and I hope, and if the Lord permits. That's a pretty good itinerary, in my opinion. It's like, we got to stay flexible. And if you've ever planned projects, you got to be flexible. And the most thing you have to be flexible to, if you're a Christian and you want to be in God's will, is leave room for God to work in your life and to show up on your journey and show up in your project. Agreed? We need to be flexible. And I'll tell you, you cannot plan, I'm convinced, you cannot plan yourself out of the will of God. He will get out of you what he needs to get out of you. Just ask Jonah. But we sure should try, don't we? We're making our lists and our itinerary, and <laughs> we try really hard. Save yourself a lot of trouble and pencil in God. Flexibility. Lord willing. Perhaps, I hope, right? I intend. God loves your motives. But every culture on this blue planet have the same saying, 
spoken a little differently, but it's something like man plans and God laughs, right? We need to realize we can plan all we want and planning's good and it's important to be organized and to be focused and put all your resources in an order, absolutely. But we should never forget that the Lord is also free to override those plans anytime he wants. And you should leave him room on your itinerary as you're planning something. Amen? James, the Apostle James in James chapter 4, verse 14, it's the same idea. It's the way Christians should embark on new ventures. He says, come on, guys, literally, come on, you brothers. Those that you say, you're going to go to this city and that city and make a profit here, and then I'm going to go to there to make a profit. He says, come on now. This is what you should be saying. If the Lord wills, I will go there and do this and do that. Amen? It used to be very common in Christian circles, right? I'll see you tomorrow, Lord willing, right? The older generation does way better on this. You could be at a pot like, Lord willing, I hope I live from this, right? Lord willing, I'm going to eat this, right? Lord willing, I'll see you tomorrow. Lord willing and the creek don't rise or something like this, right? Remember this? I really believe that's the idea. Paul, the, you read that, the flavor of that paragraph is, boy, um, I hope to do these things but God can override me at any time. So this is my intentions, but I'm leaving God room to work. The other thing he did, if you caught it, is he planned on faith. Do you know when you embark on something and you make a business plan or an itinerary to do something, you can write in faith? You should do it. (laughs) You should do it. It says here, listen, he says, I don't know if you caught it, but he says, I will stay with you on my journey. Why? so that you may help me on my journey. (laughs) In other words, listen, Paul didn't have all the goods he needed to finish his journey when he started. But man, could you imagine the inventions in our world if the people embarked on them had everything they needed before they went? Here's a newsflash. You don't need to have everything when you start. Right? You need to leave room for people to help you. You need to, by faith, walk in it and realize that if this is God's will, this journey, this project, whatever it is, that God's going to rise up people by faith to help you. And he's saying, listen, I'm going to do all this. I hope to do all this, and I'm going to need you. I love it. He planned faith. He wrote it down. I've been around here long enough to know that if we waited to have everything before we embarked on projects, you wouldn't be seen in in this building today. No doubt. You would not be sitting here tonight in this beautiful auditorium. And being from Grants Pass, I walk in here sometimes and I go, I can't believe this is in Grants Pass. Amen. How did we do this? I'll tell you how we did it. (laughs) We didn't do it. That's how we did it, is in our itinerary, we wrote, God's got to show up, (laughs) or this isn't going to happen. And I'll tell you another project we're embarking on. We're endorsing two women who have something on their heart that God has pressed into them, and that's to start a church. I mean, start a school. Constance Bradley and Megan Baker, that was up here singing. They think that God has put on their heart that they want to start a school, and we're going to help them. And we're going we're gonna to lift them off. And we endorse them wholeheartedly. And I'm going to tell you something right now. We are planning, and they are planning. And I've heard some of them, and they've got their ducks in the order, and they're super talented. And there's, some, there's a great board being formed. And financially, we've, we've got some seed money. And, but I'm going to tell you right now, that will not go without faith. Listed on the, our, our business plan is God is going to show up and help us with this. So that when he does it, guess who's going to get all the glory? It's not Edgewater. It's going to be God himself because that will not get done unless God raises people up to help them along their journey. Amen? So pray for them and be praying about it because without faith, it's not going to be done. What are the odds 
of us starting such a thing? What are the odds of Edgewater, this church, over the last decade or so? There's no odds. If it's God's will, pencil in the faith, he'll raise up people and supply your needs. And I think Paul's hinting at that by saying, listen, I don't have all the goods to start. I'm going to bring some stuff, and I'm going to do the best I can, and these are my intentions. I want to see. I want to be with you. But listen, I'm going to stop by because you're going to have to help me because I'm going to be tired. I'm going to be out of money. I'm going to be out of food. You game? And they're like, yeah, sure. Excellent. He planned on faith. He also planned on working. I don't know if you caught it here. He planned on working. For a wide door for effective work has opened. Wow. This is, do you know that God's work never stops? You will find kingdom work everywhere. You'll find it in the kid's wing, for sure, probably double duty. You'll, You'll find it in your retirement. You'll find it in your workplace. You'll find it on the golf course. You'll find it everywhere. It's everywhere and it never stops until the kingdom has come. Amen? That's why retirement's a lie. It's a lie. Your work as a Christian is never going to be over. Kingdom work never stops. And Paul's saying, yeah, I'm planning something here, and I'm willing to work because God's fields are ripe for harvest, and I'm going to work, and there's a wide door open here in Ephesus. I don't want to leave yet because this, this door's wide open. I'm going to work. And boy, did he work. If you know how many churches he founded in Asia Minor, (laughs) he worked. The fields were ripe and God used him and he planned on it. The other thing he planned on is he planned on adversities. That last last phrase. The The door is wide open for effective work, but listen, also there are many adversaries. What? Many adversaries. Ephesus is where he was at, where he wanted to stay, where the wide door was open, was a hard place to start a church. Did you know that? I mean, this is a place where they had a, the temple of Diana. It's a pagan temple where idols were worshipped through lewd and perverted sexual acts, sorcery and occult run rye. It was just a weird place. He had the Jews bearing down their home churches. He had Rome who had their thumb. They didn't really care about spiritual things, but they weren't going to help them. There was a ton of challenges here. But Paul did not see adversity as a closed door, did he? He said the door's open and there's adversities, adversaries. Isn't that the Apostle Paul's MO, really? Looking at adversity not as really a closed door, but an opportunity to advance the gospel. We just got done studying Philippians. Remember Philippians chapter 1, verse 12? He says something to those believers there. He said, brothers, I want you to know what's happened to me has actually turned out to further the gospel, to advance it. Well, what happened to him? Did anybody know what happened to him? Yeah, it's a prison epistle. He's sitting in prison. (laughs) He's in chains awaiting trial from the most brutal Christian killer of all time, Caesar Nero, right? He's saying this worked out for the betterment of the gospel. This is good. This is is good. It's worked out for us. What? Well, you know how it worked, right? Those elite imperial guards, the people who lived in Caesar's palace, those guys, right, the secret service of the day, came down and they had to watch Paul chained to him on shifts regularly. So he went through, probably went through the whole palace guard, chained to Paul under house arrest. And I, I'll bet you when they stopped their shift, they probably wondered who was in prison, right? Because I'm sure Paul browbeat them with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So Paul didn't look at, at his imprisonment, adversity, as a closed door. He said, no, this is working. This is, in Philippi, it was God's unique way of evangelizing. 
right? Because those guards, where'd they go? They went home with their wives in the palace and started talking about this crazy guy, Paul, that Jesus, you know that guy we killed? That guy, that guy's the son of God. They killed him, but he rose from the grave. Jesus was being talked about through the whole guard, it says in Philippians. All, Paul's like, yeah, you got me in prison, chains? I got you right where I want you, <laughs> right? Right? Paul is, is first class, first class. Door wide open. I'm gonna go work God's fields because he never stops working. I'm not gonna stop working. And listen, there's lots of adversaries there, but it's okay because the door's open and I'm gonna get to work and I'm gonna look at it as an opportunity, even in Ephesus, amen? So, travel plans, embarking on a big adventure, a big project, something to think about, right? Working, open doors. You might want to plan in and be flexible for God to work and pencil in faith, amen? Finally, he says a few words about a few people in this last section. And like I said in the introduction, the Apostle Paul, excluding Jesus Christ himself when he was on earth teaching, is by far the best Bible teacher our planet has seen. By far. And I think that's his value. But I think he's very underestimated on what kind of shepherd he was. He was a softy. He was very relational. He was gracious with people for the most part. And it's proven here when he talks to the Corinthian believers on how to address their fellow workers, his co-workers in Christ, when you see them, when I send them to you, when they come, treat them this way. And it proves that he knew people. He related to them and he treated people differently. And I don't mean that in a bad way. He treated different people differently. It's biblical. He got to know them so they know that he cared and then he used his words to soothe and give them what that personality needed to continue to be effective in their ministry. Amen? It's beautiful. The first person he says that we should look at is Timothy. He was sending Timothy to them. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you. For he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me for I am expecting him with the brothers. So Timothy. Timothy was Paul's protege, right? His son in Christ. He brought him to the Lord. He was his patron saint of, in a way. He followed Paul around. He was his son in Christ. He was a quiet, unassuming, and kind young man, if you read him. Not weak. Quiet and unassuming. Having kind of a quiet inner strength to him. When I think of Timothy, I think the Hall of Fame coach, Tony Dungy. Quiet strength, if you know him. Not overbearing, just has the stealthy velvet steel about him. And he gets it done minimally, unassumingly, but there's great power hidden behind that quiet, unassuming person. Well, I love the way Paul treats him and how he tells the Corinthians and how he tells us to treat these type of people. Check it out. He says, you should reassure them, really. Put him at ease among you. Put him at ease. Welcome him. Reassure him. When you're around those people, make them feel welcome. That's what they need. To affirm him and validate him. And don't treat him with ageism. Listen, he's a young person. Timothy was young. And it says here, do not despise him. And I don't know if you remember Paul's letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12 Paul tells Timothy, don't let this church despise you because of your youth. You live your life like a real minister, and they'll see the true you. Don't let them despise you because of your youth. 
You know, back then, youth wasn't valued like it is now. Age was, right? It's reversed now, or especially here in this culture. Man, we if there's one group of people, and I see them all day long at my office, that, that get left behind in our society, that doesn't really get the weight that they deserve is the elderly. But it wasn't back then. Back then, they looked at old people as people that had seen a, th- a few things, so know a few things, right? Like the farmer's commercial, we know a few things because we've seen a few things. That's the way they looked at it. These people have wisdom. Back then, life was hard. Just the fact that these people made it said something about those people, right? Oh, we're so soft. We look at old people as, man, that's one group of people that I think we can do better for, in my opinion. So, but it's reversed here. I think the church has a little bit this in them, traditionally, right? We don't discriminate against old people as much as we do young people, right? When you see a young pastor, eh, what's that guy know, right? What's he know? He's a novice. He's probably puffed up, right? (laughs) Oh, that's something to be looking out for. But what Paul's saying is, hey, give the kid a chance. See if he's the real deal, right? When you see the young guy come up. Matt used to be that young guy. I used to be that young guy. We have a young guy. He's getting older, Justin. Give the kid a chance, right? He's pretty good, right? Give him a chance. Don't let them despise you. Culturally, they were putting their nose down at him. And he he says to these Corinthian believers, don't you do that. Don't you practice ageism. Even old, even young, doesn't matter. You Don't despise people because of their age. You see what they have to offer. They might surprise you, right? Timothy. Also, he wanted the Corinthian believers to support him. Look at that. Let no one despise you and help him on his way in peace. Now listen, help him, support him. Materialistically, financially, when he comes, take care of my son Timothy. Does he not deserve it? Is he not a faithful minister? Pastors miss out on a lot of materialistic and financial opportunities, even in the American church. We take care of our pastors good here, but I'm telling you, they miss out on a lot of opportunities because they're worried about yours and my spiritual lives. Did you know that? And that's what he's telling them. This guy's a minister of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he comes here, I want you to take care of him financially. I want you to feed him. If he needs something, I want you to give it to him because he's got it coming. Because he's a minister and he's missed out on all that stuff that you guys are doing. You're trying to make a living. He's making a living preaching the gospel so you take care of him. Amen? It's biblical. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul tells Timothy then that the pastor, the elder, the teacher is worth double honor, double pay, you would say, right? Especially the ones that teach the Bible. They're worth twice, he says. After all, quoting the Old Testament, don't muzzle the ox while he's treading the grain. You give to these people. They've invested their lives in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have been blessed for them, so we need to be generous when we can with people that come in and out of here, our pastors. Amen? As one pastor said, we're supposed to get twice, but we're getting half. Right? Get it? Twice? Half? No? Anyways. Not here. They would never say that here. The ministry, no one gets into the ministry that's legit for the money put it that way. And so we need to help them when there's opportunities and take good care of them when we make money in our community and pass it along. That's all he's saying. When you see Timothy, take care of my son because he's worth it. He's actually worth twice of what you're going to give him, but give him what you got, right? Apollos, he moves on to Apollos. Now, Apollos is a different kind of person. 
Apollos is more of a mature, same job description as Paul. I don't know if you remember Apollos. He's one of the three that were factions formed around, right? I'm of, I, I, I'm of Peter. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. So whatever differences Paul had with him, whether they were doctrinally or maybe the style of their ministry, I don't really know. But there were people that were forming divisions. I, I want to be like this guy. I like his teachings. I like the way he, his style. I like that. You've heard this before? No, I like this guy. It wasn't right, but it was real. And even so, look at the way Paul addresses Apollos. And it's so gracious. He says, now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has the opportunity. To me, he supported him. Do you see the way he talked to other people about this guy that maybe they didn't see face to face with? He supported him, and he trusted God in him. He said, I strongly urged him. Listen, guys, I, I, I asked him. I actually urged him to come because I thought it was the right thing to do, but he didn't think it was the right thing to do, and I support him on that because I'm telling you, I trust God that he'll come when he has the opportunity, when God's Spirit moves him. Paul, no doubt, apostolically could have made Apollos do this, but he didn't. He urged him. He didn't make him. And I find that to be very noble and honorable in a pastor. You? When they don't exert their authority, they trust God in the authority. Maybe, maybe Paul knew Jesus's words when he was talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. You know, they all wanted to, to, to call each other rabbi, right? Oh, you call me master. I'm the teacher. And, and Jesus said, don't call each other that. There's one master. Lots of brothers. It's one master, right? So don't, it's not the title. It's not your authority. Pass on that. Take the low spot, he would say. And he's just saying, listen, um, Paul said, I'm not your boss. I'm not your boss. We got one boss. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're brothers. And guess what? Treat him like a brother. He'll come when God puts it on his heart. I find that noble. I called a brother who we worked together here in ministry, I don't know, earlier in the week. And I'm like, hey, can you meet me on this day with these people? And can you bring some food so we can just, I, I didn't have any time. Just going to be got to eat and do them all at the same time. And he said, sure. After all, you're my boss because I'm on the elder board. And I was like, dude, just because my preferred pronouns are me, Lord, or your majesty does not make me your boss, right? That doesn't make, I'm not your boss. What are you talking about? I, I'm not your boss. I'm your brother. Let's just, I, the idea is, is we're all brothers. There's one boss. And I think it's pretty awesome to see someone as accomplished and with the authority that the Apostle Paul had take the low spot and just support Apollos. I particularly don't think he liked Apollos. It's just my opinion, things I've read. <laughs> I don't mean like him. I mean, he could have said, yeah, I told that guy to come, and he could have trashed him, and he didn't. He elevated him, supported him, and was very careful very careful to trust God in him. Amen. He goes on in the next two verses, just a general blanket to just people that you see when they come and visit you. Uh, he, he says, um, um, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. And just a general overarching way to treat people when they come into your town uh, and, and believers and coworkers is, you know, I, I like to be careful, be watchful in the church and be loving. What a balance, right? And I'm telling you right now, today, we, we do need to be watchful. There are a lot of opportunities today to be led astray. Even in this church right here with the amount of people we have in here, varying blurred lines of doctrine, philosophies. We're in a time now in, 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 in our 
culture where there's very decadent and fancy philosophies that are very socially acceptable that are anti-God, and they sneak in here, not through our people that are teaching up here the Word of God, but just in our midst. Be careful. Be watchful. Because you can test these philosophies. The longer you're in them, the further you get away from the truth, capital T. Jesus Christ himself personifies truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. You end up looking back and going, what just happened? So we, need to, we do need to be watchful when we're talking and ministering together with coworkers. Make sure they're legit. Just be watchful, careful. Amen? I was listening to something the other day. I just couldn't even believe my ears. It hurt my ears. When you hear in the name of Christ, Christians saying certain things because it's so apropos right now in this social justice frontier we're embarking on that just has crept into the church and it, it, it actually hurt my ears. I'm listening to a lady named Brenda Davies. Anybody know this lady? God is gray. You lost me at hello, God is gray, right? I live in the grays. And, and it's all about, I'm like, hang on a second. I listened to the podcast a little bit and I, I, I actually threw something out of my shop. I was like, ah, she's calling herself a Christian. I certainly don't think God is living in the grays. There's objective truth in, the, in Jesus Christ. There just is. So we need to be obviously watchful and then loving. Let everything you do be done in love. I would refer you back to Pastor Matt, chapter 13. Check it out. What a great job on a, on a great chapter, obviously. Love and all of its wonderful possibilities. It should really be what is the banner over us as Christians, right? Sacrificing yourself for others like Jesus Christ did. A true agape love, right? Could you imagine the possibilities if we truly lived in love? We put others... <laughs> over ourselves. We put ourselves under people for love's sake. Could you imagine if we just addressed people first and foremost in love? So it's a good combo. Be watchful, but be loving, right? And then he finally, there's a the last group of people he addresses. They're just, I would just call it servants. Um, if you look at them here, it starts in verse 15. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first convert, converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to serve the saints. That's what they did. They were servants. <laughs> Be subject to such of these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus. I'm sure I butchered that. Because <laughs> they have made up for your absence. For they have refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. These three men, Stephen, Stephanus, and his two sidekicks, if we could call them that, <laughs> devoted themselves to serve. And Paul's saying, I want you to do a couple things with those type of people. I want you to be subject to them. Be subject to such Translation, listen to them. Put yourself under them and listen to what they have to say because there's something in the heart of a servant that makes their perspective worth listening to. Did you hear me? Someone who devotes their life to serve other people gives them a special type of perspective that's worth listening to and will add something to your life. Amen? I think that's what he's saying. He also says to rejoice in their coming because they have refreshed my spirit. Be happy when they come, servants, and serve you because they're going to refresh you. Have you ever been truly served? People refresh your spirit. Do you know people like that who refresh your spirit that when you're around them, they pick you up. They make your day. They refresh your very soul. That when you leave, you maybe start whistling and skipping. Do you know these people? I know these people. There's people here like this. We should rejoice when they come. And finally, he says, we should recognize them. Let them know that you know 
that what they're doing is a blessing, right? We all need to do a better job affirming and just saying thank you for the service of what you do. Sometimes I come in here and I see how blessed we are by the people who serve here. There is some serious gifts and talents in this church, amen? From, their, from the Bible teachers, excluding me, to the musicians. These are people that could be famous in their own right if they just went and did their thing. Amen? The people who make the food that's set up for Wednesday nights, the people that volunteers in the kids' wing that are probably hoping I finish right now. <laughs> Those people. The people that serve the Lord through foster care. The people that are getting in the trenches, adopting people so they don't have to be aborted, these babies. These people. When you meet those people, put yourself under them. Listen to them. Let them advise you. They're going to give you a perspective that you have no clue about. And it will bless your socks off. Amen? That's what Paul's saying. He finishes up with just a, a nice little greeting. He says, I'm down here in Ephesus. And basically, the people say hi. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla, together with the church in their house, send you a hearty greeting in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Like that? We do hugs now, but that was their custom. If you do kiss, it's side to side. Side to side. Side to side. side, to side. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Paul, I fit authenticating this letter. I'm going to write this myself. I'm endorsing this. If any of you have no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, please come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all. In Jesus Christ, amen. Amen? Father, thank you so much for the book of 1 Corinthians. We thank you so much for the Apostle Paul that you inspired by your spirit to write these words. I pray that we would take heed to them. I pray today that we would um, consider the people that have blessed us, that have served us. I pray for love's sake, we would put ourselves under people today. I pray that everything that we do would glorify you as you are in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.